theyeshiva.net. Thank you. I didn't bargain for this this morning. I wasn't... Uh... I would have woken up in a better mood. If I knew this is coming, I would have woken up in a much better mood. Thank you, yes. Always. Nuclear reactions, not uh, not chemical reactions. Yeah. Right. So what's the summation of Reb Aaron's summation? Give a summation of Reb Aaron's summation. Uh, there's Havaya de la'ela and Havaya de la'sata. Which means Havaya, the way it's manifested. I, I used to translate it the lower Havaya, the higher Havaya, but I think it's very inaccurate translation. Havaya de la'sata is the way Havaya is manifested in what we would call the lower reality. Havaya, the way it's manifested in the reality that we're familiar with, our picture, our experience of reality. I think that's the real translation of the Havaya, the way it's it's manifested, it's expressed, it's revealed, it comes through, through reality as we know it. And of course, reality as we know it in itself has much more than one definition, because everybody has their reality. As he says, everyone lives in their world. So it's both objective and subjective, but every level of reality, the way you know it, I know it, we know it, on one level, another level, a deeper level, is a manifestation of Havaya. It's the, it's the DNA of creation. And then there's Havaya de la'ela, the way Havaya is expressed, not in the reality that we know it, but as you said, the way it is in the inner mind of the designer, of the creator, even before it's actualized in an external reality, which we will call, we would call the universe. <clears throat> so even the universe is consciousness, but there's the way the consciousness is concretized in Lasata, in the reality that we know it, and the way there is that reality in the in the mind, in the inner soul. Like he gives an example that any person who wants to build whether it's a designer, an architect, anything, any, any artist, any form of construction, physical or spiritual construction, uh, financial or artistic, before you actually get to do it first, the entire plan and all of its details is there in your mind. <clears throat> and in your mind it's completely internal. It's not external from you. It's completely one with you. It's just part of your own brain, part of your own consciousness, part of your own inner life. Then comes stage two, which is the externalization of it, the concretization of it. Did I just make up a word? Okay, the concretization of it, which means, as he says, to bring it out from a state of koyach, from a state of inner potential, to actualization. <clears throat> and in both situations, you have a yud and a hay and a vav and a hay. The Yud and the He and the Vav and the He, which represents first, it's always the Yud, which is the Tzimtzum, the condensing, into a tiny, minuscule point, which we call Yud, because because infinity is not manifested in the individual identity of every creation in the universe. On the contrary, we experience ourselves as the identity that we experience, and that requires 
first a yud, and then a hey, and then a vav, and then a hey, as explained in the Maimon and in previous classes. And that's why it's called yesh mayayin, something from nothing, because the yud relative to infinity is called ayin. He asked a question. The world comes from Hashem, not from ayin, not from nothing. But nonetheless, it's really a mechudish, it's really something new, because it doesn't have the revealed imprint of absolute undefined infinity in it. On the contrary, it's defined by a universe, which is finite and defined. So it's really a, it's, it's something from nothing that did not exist before. What do you mean it didn't exist? It's all from Hashem, yeah. But it was the way infinity is filtered and condensed in a yud, which is one tiny little nekuda, one tiny <coughs> little point, and that's why it's called yesh me'ayin, because it's really something from nothing, because this is a completely new reality, and the yud relative to the ein soif, it could be called, so to speak, ayin. That's havaya de lesata and havaya de leila. The Balatanya said that's the meaning of the pasuk, that vayar yisrael asayod hagedoyla she'asa havaya b'mitzrayim. For the first time, they saw the yad hagedoyla she'asa havaya b'mitzrayim. Vayiru amis havaya v'yaminu ba'havaya. As you say three times havaya in the same pasuk, Paroi said to Moshe and Aaron already in Shmois. That's his reference to. I don't know about this Havaya. I don't know about this Havaya. And Hashem tells Moshe, At the end of the story, there'll be a knowledge on the Havaya. So Balatanya says here, the Diuk is, you see it also in uh, in Parshas Miketz, when Yosef is first introduced to Parah. So he says, I heard that you know how to interpret dreams. He says, Bilodoy. It's not me. Elikim Elikim will respond and help Pare. Yosef particularly uses the name Elikim. Moshe will introduce a new name. Kayamar Hashem Yutkevovke Shalachis Ami. Hashem says, and Pare says, Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good Jew. I was. I had. I had a, some of my best friends were Jews. One of them was Yosef. He was my prime minister. He never said this. He said Elikim. What are, you, uh, what are you giving me new names for? So the Balatanya says that essentially, Havaya de Lasata, Pare has no problem with, because it's revealed, relatively speaking. But Havaya de La Eila, this, this, this was the issue. <clears throat> and that's why, Vayayu saw by Kriyas Yamsuf, they saw a gili of Havaya de La Eila, that's what Kriyas Yamsuf means spiritually. There was a concept of Ri'iya in Havaya and Vayamino Bavaya. It's not redundant, but as he put it, it's two separate things. Because Vayiru as Havaya is an Havaya de Lasata. Vayamino Bavaya is an Havaya de Laila. That's basically the concepts that we, that we try to deal with. Good question. Why three? We are speaking about two. That's a good question. Yeah. Well, he's talking here para in uh, an evolved one, an evolved para. That was the beginning of the Kmaim. Why does Riyah come before? Why does Yira, not Yira, Yira, Yira here means fear, not Riyah. Why does Yira come before Amuna? Lachayda Amuna comes before, right? What is the meaning? What's the difference between these two? These two. We're speaking about two realities here. 
It's not really two because Havaya is one. Havaya Hashem Echad Echad. It's two in relative to the experience, to the expression of it in our reality. So we say it's two. Just important to emphasize that it's not really two, it's one. Hashem Echad Echad. But it's important to understand the distinction so that we should be able to understand what we're experiencing at different points in life. You understand what I just said? People make a mistake. They think it's, a, it's not two. It's not two. Yeah, and it's important to say it's two so you could come to one. Because if you don't know it's two, you'll never come to one because, because what you're experiencing is, if, there's, if in your mind there's only one, then you can't really get to the one. Because you make peace, you compromise what's really the truth. So it's important to understand the the distinction of experience and expression in order to be able to really come to the one. If you didn't understand what I just said, it's fine. I also didn't, but uh, it's it's still true. So let's take take that marshal, the marshal, the metaphor that Balatanya gives of a person who's building something. And first it's in his mind, and then it's actualized. What's the difference between the two? Everybody knows there's no project. What do they say? Two people fail. People who don't have a plan and people who stick to their plan. But let's talk about number one. <laughs> people who don't have a plan. Any successful operation in history come. I don't know any, but usually a successful operation comes through a certain form of thought, plan, strategy. Strategy always begins in your mind. The architect has the entire mansion in his mind. It's a picture. It's a picture. You see the whole picture. It's true in any area. A writer, you have the article in your mind. The speaker has the speech in his or her mind. The artist has, of course, the picture in their mind. Then you have to actualize it. You have to put it on canvas. Yeah. The businessman, there's people sitting in this room who have built... Huge companies in their mind, right? Huh? Most Jews do that. Uh, I know a guy who builds a company every day. He builds two or three companies a day. It's full figured out. It remains inside. The truth is, the more detailed you get in your mind, the closer it is to actualization. Because sometimes in your mind it's just very nebulous and general. When you have the pratim in your mind, it's already closer to actualization. But this is true in any area, whether you're building an organization or a movement or a business or a company or a website or a community or a home or a home or whatever it is, physical, emotional, spiritual, <clears throat> for-profit, not-for-profit. It always begins with the picture of it, the entire experience in the person's mind. Then there is getting it on paper, whether it's the architect drawing the blueprint, whether it's the writer writing a summary or starting to write, whether it's the speaker expressing, whether it's the contractor starting to build, whether it's the artist starting to draw, starting starting the sketch. And that itself, there's many stages. There's going to be a yud, there's going to be a hey, a vav, a hey, until the end product. But before all this, it's all inside the person. The difference is very clear. Once it's outside of the person, here, an architect can give the plans to the contractor. 
He may understand it, he may not understand it. He may follow it, he may not follow it. Yeah. We all know the contractor takes the plant and suddenly you realize the bathroom is somewhere else. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> this is very common. He said, well, I made sense, this, but the architect did it this way. But he decided, that the wiring has to go this way. Yeah. So now, $200,000 $200, later, and uh, migraine, and many headaches and aggravation later, you're redoing it according to the original plan. Once it's out, outside of you, here, it's uh, up to interpretation. It lends itself to distortion. Why? Because it's not anymore part of the person himself. There's now an outside reality. Yeah. As long as my speech is in my mind, nobody can misconstrue what I said. <laughs> Which is very tempting to keep it there. Once you, what's it called? Once the cat, what's the expression? The cat is out of the bag. It, it, it belongs to everybody, right? And we all know this. Why? Because people hear what they want to hear. People hear what they're capable of hearing. People hear what they love, what they want to hear. People hear what gives them, uh, what, what allows for a good WhatsApp uh, uh, viral exchange. So the moment it's outside, it's already, you don't own it. It's already, it's, in, it's, it's not in Rishos HaYachid anymore, it's in Rishos HaRabim. Once it's in Rishos HaRabim, there are those who get it, but there are many who don't. And it lends itself to all types of experiences, including distortion, including distortions to a radical degree. Why, why does it have to be distorted? It could be improved. Beautiful. Many experiences in life you take from the passion. Moshe Rabbein started to judge the people, and Yisra Kama says, you're going to wear yourself out. You can't do it. Please, reconsider. Excellent. It doesn't have to be distorted. It lends itself. It could be. You won't. I'm not talking about you. I'm not talking about you. I'm not talking about Aaron. You are off the hook. You don't distort. My, uh, my father had a Yiddish newspaper, the Algemeiner Journal. He had a writer there who was a professor in YU. His name was Tzvi Kolitz. He was a big Yiddishist. His brother was the Rav of Yerushalayim, Rabbi Yitzchak Kolitz. An old, well-known Litvisha family. Interesting people. So Tzvi Kolitz was a Yiddish writer. He was an author. He was a novelist. So he wrote, uh, he wrote that book. What is it called? Yasser Rakover. Yasser Rakover Retzugot. I don't know if anybody read it. Yasser Rakover speaks to God about the Warsaw Ghetto. Um, unbelievable, unbelievable book that he wrote. In any case, I once read, an, so I knew him, he's already in the Oil Amemus quite a few years, so he once wrote an article. <laughs> Some, there was a Jewish publication house that published Shihashirim. And um, when you read the English translation, it wasn't a literal translation. And they explained that since Rashi says that Shihashirim is a metaphor, so therefore they're not translating it literally, you know, your eyes are, uh, are shapely and your physique is beautiful because it's a marshal. And in the translation already, they put in the nimshal. You know, Matan Torah was an inspiring moment, whatever. So he wrote an article. He was very upset, we call it. He was uh, intellectual and this upset him very much. So he wrote an article, you know, that it's a pity that Shleim HaMelech wasn't as from as the translators... 
because he could have also written everything like that, but he didn't. Yeah, so it's it's a pity he didn't get lessons from them in in Yerushalayim. And then he said that when he was reading the translation, it reminded him of a Jew in Warsaw. He said a Jew in Warsaw took a uh, play of William Lahavdil, a play of William Shakespeare, uh, Romeo and Juliet, and he, he 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 wrote a Yiddish translation and he published it in Warsaw. And he said the title page read like this. Uh, Romeo and Juliet from William Shakespeare, Ibigazetz und Verbessert durch Jankel Rosenzweig. Okay? Romeo and Juliet, William Shakespeare, translated and enhanced. Ibigazetz und Verbessert, translated and enhanced by, by, by Jankel Rosenzweig, whatever the name was. I don't remember the name. Verstehst? This is the concept called. Lost in translation, in one way or another. Why is this metaphor important to us? Because this, I think, this is the way I understand it, captures the difference, Lahavdil, between Shem Havaya de Lasata and Shem Havaya de Leila in terms of our experience. We see the the work. You see the work. But do I know the mind inside the work? Do I know the person behind the work? Do I appreciate it from his perspective? Or I just see the result? I just see the result. I see the manifestation. I don't see anymore. It's dazzling. It's very impressive. It's very powerful. When we look at the world... That's what he says. Even Parai understands Shema Vayadalasata. What does one time mean Parai understands Shema Vayadalasata? So what made him Parai? What made him Arusha Marusha? What it means he understands Shema Vayadalasata is no intelligent human being or even non-intelligent human being can be deaf to the dazzling beauty, harmony, symmetry of the cosmos. You can't. And of course, the more intelligent one person, the person is, the more perceptive a person is, the more dazzled you are, the more flabbergasted you are, the more overwhelmed you are. And what's the conclusion of it? The conclusion of it is, this is an incredible piece of work. However you're going to interpret the piece of work, the polytheists who believed in pagan gods attributed it to a million gods thousand gods, the god of the wind and the god of the storms and the god of the clouds and the god of the rain and the god of the sun, the god of the moon, the god of the ocean and the god of this animal and the god of this bird and the god of this reptile and the god of the crocodile. Did they see Shem Avaya de Lasat? Of course. They saw, they, saw the, they saw creation the way they understood it then, according to their instruments. Every generation improves its instruments. So our generation has better instruments because of the progress we have made in science. But it's fundamentally the same philosophy as Pare. What is it? I do with the world what I want to do. I'm very impressed by it. And what do I deal? What happens now? What's the result? The result is whatever the result is. I make a career out of it. I try to win a, a, a Nobel Prize out of it. I, uh, I, I dedicate my life to understand it, to appreciate it. Whether I reach a... What's the issue here? The issue here is... What I see is the product. What I see is the bottom line. The bottom line here is, look at this world. 
And the more you look, the more impressive it is, according to all accounts. What do, what do I do with that information? Whatever I want to do with that information, based on my biases, based on my emotions, based on my addictions, based on my fears, based on my needs, based on my, uh, my, uh, my habits and my lower angels or higher angels. You understand what I'm saying? Where does Yiddishkeit begin? Shem What's Shem There's an expression of the Balatanya's grandson, the Tzemach Tzedek. Magnificent expression. He says, what's the difference between all Chachmas, Chitzenius, and Torah? What's the difference? We're talking about real Chachmas, Chitzenius. Chachmas, Chitzenius means external wisdoms. <laughs> how, do you, how does everybody translate Chachmas, Chitzenius? What's, how do you translate it? Huh? Secular knowledge, secular. What's the difference, he says? So, you'll ask a regular, well, what's the difference? This is Sheker, this is Emes. That's a very uh, untrue statement. <laughs> because some elements of Chachmas Chitzanius are very Emes. Some of you are going to go today on the George Washington Bridge, and you're going to trust the bridge. <laughs> I went yesterday on an airplane, and I trusted it. It was turbulent, but I trusted it. You go to doctors and you go to physicians and you go to dentists <coughs> and you go to surgeons all based on what they learned and people trust it. So just to say this is Shekhar, this is Emes is very superficial and very untrue and very unimpressive and the people don't even believe it. It also shows that you don't understand what Torah is because the only thing you could say about Torah is that it's not Shekhar. <laughs> There's other things that are not Sheka also. Some things your therapist told you are also pretty true. <laughs> Something your Shviget told you are also true. Doesn't mean it's Allah Chalamayshim. It's much deeper. Listen to the Tzamech says this. He says, Chachmas Chitzayin is, it could be Mamish Emes. First of all, it's based on human knowledge. So it's obviously subjective and people could make mistakes. That's a given, but it's much deeper than that. Even when it's emes, even when you're touching truth, it's the chachma of the yesh. Torah is the chachma of the ayin that precedes the yesh. This is all chachmas chitzonis is analyzing the product called the yesh, and that's pretty deep because <laughs> there's a lot in that. Torah begins. In the ayin hamahaves ayesh, the ayin that precedes the yesh, or to put it differently, the word chachmas chitzonius is the word that's used in Svanim is a very accurate term. The word is chitzonius. Chitzonius doesn't mean false. Chitzonius means outer. What does outer mean? What does outer mean? Yeah. In relation to something else. The, the Gemara says in Sukkah that Yonas and Benuziel, when he used to learn, every bird that flew over him would burn. So Meir Shapiro, the founder of Dafyaymi, the Lublinerov, once said two Bachrim were learning the Gemara. So one boy says, wow, look at the holiness of Yonas and Benuziel. There was such a fire that it burnt up every bird. And the other one said, you know what I'm thinking? Is he responsible to pay? 
is the Yodisim Benazil Mechuyev Garma Dina de Dina de Garma Dina de Garmi. How much culpability does he take for the burning of the bird? No. <laughs> what do you say about these two learnings? <laughs> this is called Chitzainius and Panemius. He asked a good question, but he completely didn't get it, right? He missed the point. Chachmas Chitzainius is Shem Havaya de Lasata, divorced from Shem Havaya de Laela. That's why he says Paroi can have Shem Havaya de Lasata. What, what do I mean by chitzainis? Chitzainis means you, 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 you have it, but you just, you, you, you're getting the outside of it, not the inside of it. Yeah. If you want in the world of psychology, somebody expresses tremendous anger, yeah? And you'll say, yeah, he's very, very angry, but it's the chitzainis, it's not the pneumius. That's not what's bothering him. It's a secondary emotion. That's not what's really bothering him. He may not know this. You may be in touch only with your chitzainis. You don't know your panemius. And remember, what's on one level chitzainis, yeah, on a deeper level, what's on one level panemius is on a deeper level chitzainis. And then what's panemius on a deeper level, still relative to a deeper place, is still chitzainis, of course. You know, it's peeling the layer. There's no such a thing that Yiddish, Yiddishkeit... It's not like a, you have science, you have physics, you have biology, you have cosmology, you have astronomy, right? And then you have religion, which has nothing to do with any of it, and it's just God tells you to do things. That's not the Havana of, of Torah. That's, uh, that's a superficial understanding. It's much deeper than that. It's understanding the ayin, the mind, the consciousness. If I could see the world... If the author speaks to me through the world, if the author speaks to me, the Gemara says that Anoichi is Rosh Hashanah, this week's parsha. the Gemara says in Shabbos, that Anoichi is Rosh Hashanah, Nafshi, Ksavis, Yehovis. Which means I have written, I have given, I have written my soul into the text. God speaks through Torah, he doesn't speak through a tree. Take any tree, take any bush, take your, take any cell. You know how much God speaks through it. Marabu ma'asecha Hashem kulam b'chachma sisa malaret kinyanecha. God speaks through every leaf, through every grass, through every uh, through every wind, and through every every butterfly flapping its wings, yeah. and through every nekud of creation. That's what David Amal says. What's the difference then? What's that non nafshik savis yahavis? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The chitzonius means I could look at something, I see it, but I'm getting only the external, the external component of it. A person could read in textbooks about chemistry or about physics or about astronomy, incredible stuff. The facts are right, or at least on a certain level they're right. Maybe some things will be disproven, some things won't be disproven. But let's say it won't be. Let's say it's Emmas. But what am I capturing? I'm capturing only 
the external makeup of it, the external story. What's its message? What's the ultimate truth behind it? What's being conveyed? Or in this signal that we're saying, what's the ayin behind the yesh? Can I see the ayin behind the yesh? The ayin, the ayin behind the yesh would mean the core energy, the core mind, the core consciousness behind it. How am I supposed to know? All I could do is speculate. Speculate like this, speculate like this. I could see all the facts, call myself an atheist, call myself an agnostic. So Parai, he says, I, I know, I'm, I'm impressed by what I see. <laughs> when he says those words, what is he saying? He's saying, I know, However, whatever his conclusion is, his conclusion is that he's a demigod and he can oppress a people. That's his conclusion of the world. That the world is created by the slaves and there's masters and there's a hierarchy of creation. You could see it in the pyramids of Egypt. That's the philosophy. <laughs> it, the whole pyramid is supporting one guy on the top. Okay, that's, that, that's his conclusion. What's this conclusion based on? You look at the world from your glasses and you interpret it. You see everything. And if you're an intelligent person, you see much more. But there's no experience of the bittle of all the oilamas to the achdos. The Tzemach Tzedek says, that's why you'll see that Chachmas Chitzonius, he says, the more, a lot of people, the more they become brilliant in it, the more yesh they become. He says, in Torah, real Chachmas HaTorah, doesn't mean everyone who learns, but real Chachmas HaTorah, the more... You learn the more bitter it is. Why? He says, because here the Chachma is in the Yesh, and here the Chachma is in the Ayin. <laughs> he says, he writes the Aristotle, he says, was a Chacham a Godel, and his Yesh is matched his Chachma. His arrogance matched his Chachma. And you see it constantly. There are exceptions. But sometimes the knowledge in science, look what I know. And look at the stupid people who still are fundamentalist uh, nutjobs. You become extremely pompous about it, especially when you disagree with them. You ever tried to disagree with certain intellectuals? It's a crime against humanity. You would think he's a real intellectual. He wants people to disagree with him. My whole search is for truth. And it may have began that way. But Lepoyal, because I'm only dealing with Chitzonius... So my search could take me away from my initial objective. And it becomes more about my knowledge and my knowledge and my uh, reputation than the truth. So now if you challenge me, I, won't even, I can't even hear what you're telling me. All I can hear is that you are a Meshuggahna idiot. I told you once, there's a psychologist in, in Los Angeles, his name is Dr. J. Hamnick. So a Jewish guy, an observant Jew, so he said he was once at a conference years ago. There was a student of Sigmund Freud presenting. The issue that he was presenting is that in every religion and culture and philosophy, there's a, I'm quoting him, there's a myth that there was a flood. They all have it. You could, any culture, philosophy, religion, there's a religion, a culture, there's a myth that there was a flood that wiped out humanity. And the student of Freud asked why. 
And he explained, based on his teacher's principles, that there's an essential fear of death. We all have a fear of death, so every culture projects this fear on a story that happened, and that helps you alleviate and deal with your fears, which we all do in our own lives. You know, you, you imagine the worst. Uh, you, you, know, you know, you imagine you're dead already, you were killed, this one was killed, that one was killed. And that way, it just, you know, it's like an outlet for this essential fear. So Dr. Hamnick raises his hand. He says, I have another explanation. So the guy says, what? He says, because it happened. <laughs> they have a story of a flood because there was a flood. It happened. So he said, he looked at him. Yeah. As though, in his words, he uttered the uh, yeah blasphemy, the ineffable, that which should never be uttered. Like it was, it was revealing the secret. You know, giving the Soviets uh, the atomic secrets. It was, it was the worst. He looked at him. The room beca- fell silent. He said, "You can cut the electricity with a knife." And he thought for a moment, and the man looked at him and said, my teacher, Dr. Freud said, we will never know who's stronger, a polar bear or a tiger. Never. Because they can't live in the same climate. (laughs) And that's you and me. (laughs) End of discussion. The lecture moved on. What do you say to such intellectual, uh, such intellectual integrity? I'm I'm not bothered by the disagreement. We have a disagreement. You see, you see the yeshus. Now, when he goes home, he doesn't say to himself, "I'm a fashtunk in a yesh." He says, "I'm the one who carries truth. I'm I'm the one bringing the world to enlightenment." How locked up is he in his yeshus? It may have not started that way. But whenever you're in touch only with chitzonius, not with pnimius, you get fur- your research takes you further away from your own truth that you're looking for. Vaharaya, you should welcome this agreement. That's what you're all about. The moment science becomes associated with dogma, it's not just unscientific, it's a war on science. The moment seichel becomes associated with dogma, uh, dogma is... Um, this is the way it is. You're a polar bear, I'm a tiger. We can't live in the same climate. There's no room for you in my world. Now this is a very subtle thing because they're not going to show it. It's all about intellectual curiosity. But this is a very profound observation. It's not happening consciously. It's not like a guy comes into university and I'm not, I'm not honest. Of course not. It's not conscious. It's all unconscious. Just like in the therapist's office. But what's the realness? What's the truth of it? The truth of it is that the chitzenius, the study of yesh, brings more yeshes. <laughs> you, you understand the reichkeit of this or not? I don't know if the Yolam understands this. Huh? It's very, very, it's very powerful. Now, I'm going to say this in parenthesis. We have this in Torah also, don't worry. 
we have this in Taita also, because a person doesn't understand what Taita is also. Sometimes it just causes more yachas, more yachas, more yachas, and you're completely divorced from what Taita is. And in a way, it could be even worse, because you're using Taita for your own yachas. But it's a separate sugi. I'm not discussing that now. That's when the Taita itself becomes chitzainis. It's not panemius. But what's the essence of Taita? The essence of Taita is I'm looking for the ayin, not for the yesh. What's the ayin? The ayin is the singular core that encompasses and integrates and unites all of existence. It's like an author who wrote a hundred books. But then I could meet the author, not just the book. From the books I can have interesting conclusions. Or from the buildings, or from the music, the compositions of the musician. But then there is seeing the music from the source of it. Where was this music born? Can I see the mind where this music was born? That's the ayin that precedes the yesh. The nothingness that precedes the somethingness. To take the whole somethingness, go back to nothingness, and that's where you see the yesh from. That's, that's, that's a different yesh. <laughs> this has to make you more, more humble. I once heard from the Lubavitcher Rebbe, he said a vart, a very also very, he said it fast. He said the reason that in history you saw that Jewish, that some Jewish personalities with their minds developed science and physics to a place where others didn't. They had revolutionary insights. is because since they have a Jewish soul, so even in their science they had the courage to go back to the ayin. And the only way you could really change science is if you're ready for an absolute paradigm shift. And that means you have to go out of the box so you could see it completely different. And that means you're not defined by the yesh. You're ready to go back to the ayin, which is the source where everything could be recreated. Atkan, now you have to figure that out. But that was more or less in Yiddish what he said. In other words, the seichel of ayin is a different nefesh ha there's a nefesh is a godly soul. There's a nefesh sikhlis a rational soul. There's a nefesh Bahamas, which is an animal soul. The animal soul likes cotton candy. Or whatever it does. Whatever it likes. Pizza. The nefesh is is one with God. Is one Eino the nefesh sikhlis is a scientist. Curious George. It's a scientist. But a nefesh sikhlis that's, that's influenced by a nefesh allows its rational mind to go to places that a behemoth will not allow its rational mind to go. Because a behemoth is ultimately looking for self-satisfaction. Elikus is looking for the ayin, for the source of everything, um, and where, where, where nothing has to exist. When nothing has to exist, you can question everything. The moment you can question everything, you can reshape your entire understanding of something, even if it goes against the status quo of thousands of years of science. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Huh? Doma, why is dogma that became the word today? It was just a part of a sentence. It's a good word, dogma, yeah. It's, it, I don't know what a good word it is, but it's a word. It's an important word, yeah. 
people associate Jewish religion with dogma. People always write to me, I get every day another email, the dogma of the schools and the systems, all dogma, 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 dogma. In the world of science, is freedom. And I understand it very well, because religion is often taught as very dogmatic. Questions are abhorred. What Al Tureb is teaching us is if that's your understanding of religion, you completely don't understand what Judaism is. Fine, that's that's a beginning. <laughs> that's a good beginning, Rebbe Avram. You should tell that to the Chede teachers. <laughs> okay, Abbas come from Holland. How are the Chadarim in Holland? There's a big difference between dogma and amuna. See, amuna, amuna is dogma. Amuna is the opposite of dogma. Amuna is never. Do- amuna is the opposite of dogma. It could be anywhere. Okay, we'll stop here. Continue tomorrow, Bezer Hashem. You understand above Ram? The difference of the Yesh and the Ayin? Yiddishkeit is not here to be Mavatal the Yesh. It's here to excavate the Ayin. The Siberian tiger in the snow. So he could fight with the polar bear. I hear you. Huh? They have it in, they're only a few on the left, but these one. There's a Siberian tiger. I don't know, okay. I guess he was referring to a different type of tiger. I don't know. I read this in an essay by Dr. Hamnick after. Okay. So maybe he was wrong about that too, but I don't know. If you see it as a chitzanius of the Pneumius. It's all one. It's like Klippas Naga, you have to reveal the light in it. You were burnt, you were burnt in this area very heavily, right? I see. This is yours. When was the last time you got back a pen? Never. A week later. Okay, listen, we all have to heal. It's a time of healing now. It's a time of unification. The Chitzainis and the Pneumias. I mean, I still have a right side of the skeptic. Okay, that's good. That's also part of the design. <laughs> yeah. One that's looking for Yesh and one that's looking for Ayin. The skeptic who's looking for Yesh, he'll always deny. The skeptic who's looking for Ayin just does want, not want to get stuck in somebody's box. That's, that's, that's the essence of religion. The essence of Yiddishkeit is that. Avram Avinu, if he wasn't a skeptic, we would all be bowing down to statues, which some of us are. We call them pictures, baseball cards, whatever. Huh? I'm saying, Avram, people don't realize, Judaism began with Avram Avinu's skepticism. He said, no, 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 no. The problem is we took his yes and we turned that into a statue. <laughs> okay. Not all of us changed. Not all of us changed.
He smashed every statue. I think Churchill once said that uh, he said. When you smash every statue, the Churchill quote is, I don't remember it, you'll have to Google it, but the concept is very profound. We create... We create structures to facilitate our ideas, and then we become prisoners to those structures that we created. And then we, s- huh? We shape our buildings, therefore they shape us. <laughs> we shape our buildings, and then they shape us. It's very powerful. You shape the building to serve you, and then you become a prisoner to that shape. And when somebody says, "Maybe there's a different shape," no, 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 this is it. <laughs> Whenever you go, whenever you go to Ayin, you don't get stuck there ever. Constantly, that's how life works. You smash the statues, and then that becomes a statue. <laughs> so you want to know what's the difference between dogma and amuna? I got the question. I understand. We'll we'll discuss it. Believe neither. Okay. I don't mean to be a party pooper, but but I know I am. Yeah, I don't mean to be, but I am a party pooper. Ah, I was dogma. indoctrination. indoctrination Propaganda, yeah. You're not ready to question anything. You're like an occult. When a muna becomes about that, it's it's very superficial. That's not. Uh, that's a problem. They remain two years old when they're twenty. You can't. It's ridiculous. I don't understand how that works. I said, if so, how can we blame the Arabs? Exactly. What do you want from them? What do you want from them? And if you would have grown up in that home, in Afghanistan or Syria or Gaza, exactly the same thing. Isn't this what happened over the whole Bolshev thing? See, it was about individualism, and they created the whole institution around individualism. It's a separate issue, but yeah. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.